Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk to a fascinating man now who's in France. And his name is Alan Pierce. He's got an amazing book. He's also got an amazing story to tell us. Let's say hello to Alan. Alan, hi. Hello, Pete. Hello, um, hello, everybody listening. Right. Now, you've got this fascinating book, the uh, Sherlock Holmes Handbook for the Digital Age. The title alone just conjures up an amazing, amazing literary... Let's go into it and look sort of book. Tell us who you are first before we talk about the book. Give us a brief resume. Well, I mean... My background is, is, is journalism, foreign affairs, and, and to that end, I worked for BBC World Service for, for a long time um, overseas, covering mostly wars, as it turns out. Um, I think what it does to you during that, it, it heightens one's state of personal security and safety, and I've never come down from that. And um, one thing or another led me to having a lot of time on my hands just when the internet was taking off. And I just was fascinated. I've never really let go. But in recent years, I've been looking more into the very dark side of the internet, the, the, the dark net, the dark web, and uh, the criminal uh, world. And, and that's led me to understand not only just how dangerous the internet is, but how vulnerable we will leave ourselves to it. Wow. How did you put this book together? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, I have been a fan of Sherlock Holmes for years. I mean, I read them when I was very young. I recently rediscovered them. I was just, about a year ago, started just picking my way through all the Holmes books chronologically. And then at the same time, I was thinking, you know, I'm writing these books on cybersecurity, but I'm writing usually for a specialist audience, journalists, aid workers, human rights activists. But I see that everybody's vulnerable. And I wanted to try and write a cybersecurity handbook for people who would never read a cybersecurity handbook. And somehow the penny dropped a light bulb and I put Holmes together. And it works. It works for me. Now, it's such a vast area to cover. Where would you start constructing it? Well, from, I mean, literally from the beginning. Um, Anyone who's, who's, who's familiar with the Holmes stories, either either the books or the various TV adaptations, Holmes does this one thing one day. He, he gets Watson's fob watch, and he tells the whole history of it. He determines that the watch was his brother's, that uh, he was uh, well-to-do, uh, down on his luck, alcoholic, and died young. And he gets all this just from looking at the watch, the scratches on it, what have you. Well, I begin doing this by getting inside Watson's smartphone. And to the point where, ah, oh, you had roast pork for luncheon on Sunday, I see, and so on and so forth. And you can actually absolutely go through his entire life just by getting inside his phone. Alan, as a journalist, you've seen a huge change at the beginning of your career. There was no such thing, really, was there, as social media the way it is now? <laughs> no, nothing like it. Or the internet. It was all libraries, re reference departments and such like. So... How did it affect you? When did you realise there was a problem? Or was this your journalist head-on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's that kind of spookiness that journalists have, that you're looking for something and something doesn't feel right. And then, how do, I ought to start with how I got into this. I'm, I'm married to a private detective, so I'm living in a household where you know, everything's sort of open to investigation. And one day, uh, we were having dinner with one of her clients, who was a formal special branch officer, and he started talking of all the things 
you couldn't see on the internet. And I thought, well, hold on a second. Uh, what on earth could that be? And he wasn't really forthcoming at that time. So in a sense, I got what he told me and I reverse engineered it. And I found out there's a place called the Tor Network, there's hidden networks, and there's a parallel universe down there, a completely different internet. And that's really how I got into this. And this is how I found out that the internet is not just all amusing cat videos <laughs> and the fun stuff and chatting to friends and all those things. It's way more sinister. And there's an awful lot of people targeting everybody who's using the internet. Now, it's interesting you said that, Alan, because I was about to ask you, uh, are we being watched by Big Brother? No, no, absolutely, 100%. But it's not just Big Brother. It's, you know, it's, it's the aunts and uncles and the nephews. Everybody's watching us. You know, for sure the state is doing it. And I think anyone who pays any attention saw the Edward Snowden revelations. And, uh, you know, some people are quite happy, I guess, living under some kind of all-seeing eye. But the trouble is... Um, the intelligence agencies use pretty much the same techniques as the criminals. And it all comes down to the fact that everybody who uses the internet, no matter who you perceive your threat to be, should tighten their security. Because even if you don't mind the state reading your emails and following your every move, you'll be most upset to wake up and find your bank accounts have been drained because someone's got inside your device. Alan, you mentioned Snowden. I saw the movie uh, only a couple of days ago and I saw a different slant. Uh, yes, it was Oliver Stone and he really doesn't like the establishment anyway, but I saw a different slant on Snowden. Do you, do, do you relate to that? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, that's pretty much as I, as I perceived it. I'd be curious to know how you perceived it, Richard, perceived Snowden. Did you see him as a traitor? No. No, absolutely. Uh, I was at a conference in, in, in Berlin, a, a media conference, when the story broke. And I was sitting in front of a, a professor of journalism, and he was thinking that Snowden, saying that Snowden's done a terrible thing. This is all so wrong. He's putting lives at risk. And you think, no, no, this is not even how the story's being played to you by The Guardian. How can you even think that? He's done a, a wonderful thing. And what the state has done, certainly what Britain's done with the recent laws, they've just legitimised all the illegal practices of the past and made them legal. I'm talking to Alan Pierce. There's an amazing book that this man has written, which is fascinating, just coming out into this interview now, the Sherlock Holmes Handbook uh, for the Digital Age. Putting the book together and all the different chapters, how did you construct it? As in, because there's so much to write about. Well, there is. It's almost a matter of deconstructing what I had. Um, I've written various other books, um, one in particular, Deep Web for Journalists, where I cover absolutely everything I can think of, uh, right down to how to search more efficiently on the internet. And then I had to see it really from a, you know, the perspective of a normal person, not, not, not just a journalist or an aid worker, someone who's got heightened sense of security. And the things that not necessarily that they're aware of, but the things that most certainly do concern them. And then it was to finding a way of bringing that to their attention. And this is how I chose Holmes to do that. I think because having two Edwardian gentlemen going into the internet mm. sounds bonkers, but they actually represent a more sensible time when, you know, if you were followed in the street, you'd be most perturbed. And if your mail was interfered with, I mean, you'd be horrified. But we allow this to happen every day. And I think by seeing it through their perspective, you see how ludicrous some of the things that we do, the information that we give away. 
um, for very, very little trade-off in the end. You mentioned earlier, and you just said it, and it just rang bells with me, which really scares me, the dark web. What did you find out about it? Well, it's there's the dark web and there's the deep web. The deep web is basically just the regular internet, but the deeper parts, parts where nobody really visits. Within this deep web are hidden networks. No one knows how many hidden networks there are because I guess that's the nature of the thing. But the one that most people know of and use is the Tor network, T-O-R, it stands for the Onion Router. And down there, um, you can buy any kind of illegal, illegal item that you can think of from handguns to gibbons to drugs to, to, to what have you. Entire marketplaces where millions are made. Um, we touch on this in the book because one thing the government in Britain makes, you know, keeps making the point of when they justify spying on everybody is that they want to make clear that there should be no hiding place on the internet, that it shouldn't be a haven for criminals, etc. How hard did you find you yourself to get into the uh, dark web? No, it's, it's, it's something, actually. Um, if you read the book, uh, you can follow, follow along with Holmes, as it were. Um, it will take you five to ten minutes. No, that's short. And, and, and no special skills. If, if you can download an app for a desktop computer or a, or a phone or what have you, you can set up the browser in the same way that you can download a, a different type of browser to the one you might be using. And then you just press a few buttons, and it's a matter of knowing the addresses... And, uh, and off you go. And you're in a parallel universe. It's like a mirror image of the distorted mirror image of the internet that we use every day. It's got all the usual facilities. It's got its own social media, for example. It's interesting what you're saying, but it's also incredibly scary because I've written recently in one of my columns uh, about children and how they're not being protected and how in their own homes, once they get into the internet, they're opening a very unknown world. You must be frightened and fearful for young people. No, absolutely. Um, but it's almost impossible knowing what you can do about this because if you've got a 12-year-old in the house, it's the 12-year-old that's working out how the home Wi-Fi system's working or what happens yeah. if something breaks down, they'll fix it. They understand these things better than, 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 than the older people, like yourself. Um, I don't know. If they want to find it, they will find it. You can't block anything. Uh, you really, really can't. I think you've got to balance it out somehow with society, explaining that you know, this is a you know, just a, a make-believe world. It's not the real world and relationships aren't like you might see online. Doing the research for this book, did you find any problems with somebody trying to block you? No, absolutely not. Um, I'm actually quite surprised how I've got this far uh, without actually running into any any, any real trouble. Because um, I write specifically for, for, for journalists and human rights activists, and I go around, around the world training people um, in these skills. So I would have thought I might have come, come across somewhere along the line. But today, and I'm touching what as I speak. No, I haven't. Now, you just mentioned about training people, teaching them their skills. Um, where did this come from? How come you went as a journalist down this road? Well, about the time that I discovered that there are parts of the internet that people can't see and people can do things that cannot be followed, 
around about that time, I was involved in a training course, um, training journalists to be war correspondents. And it seemed to time very, very nicely. Um, we've had many cases where people say they've gone to a dodgy war zone and they've put on uh, either Instagram or Facebook a picture of the hotel where they're staying. You know, hey, we're staying in this really cruddy hotel till Thursday when we're up crack of dawn and we're heading off to Aleppo or something. And hey, presto, they get kidnapped the next day. So it seemed to me that journalists really needed to wise up. So I then began exploring along those sides. How do you communicate with people? How do you safeguard your contacts? How do you not have digital stuff on you if you're stopped? Or if you have, how nobody could ever find it. And one thing just led to another, to another, to another. And it began with a few articles. And then it turned into books. And now I've written, I don't know, six, seven books on this subject. Different branches of it, but almost exclusively on being safe online. It's interesting you say that. I've got some friends on Facebook, and every time they go out, uh, they put where they are, which restaurant, where they are, where they are in the world, and I keep saying to them, are you stupid? You've got money. You've got a beautiful home. Are you asking for trouble? You've got a beautiful home, and somebody could be breaking your window around the back yep. at that very moment while they're you know, taking your picture. They've lost the Thermidor, no, for sure. Is it a fearful book to read? Will people put this book down and go, oh, my word, I just want to get rid of my phone? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's scary. Um, I like to think it's quite entertaining. Um, we're going on a real Sherlock Holmes journey here, and along the way we're learning things. And there are elements uh, that are very, very scary. At one point, Holmes demonstrates how you can break in through somebody's home Wi-Fi router. And you know how so many things are connected to the internet these days. It's mm. called the Internet of Things. You buy a refrigerator and somehow it connects the internet. And now we've got these personal assistants that will, you know, hey, Siri, what's the weather today? And, you know, Holmes hacks into one of these properties for demonstration purposes only and presents the most scary scenario. I mean, it made my, my, my skin creep a little whilst I was writing it. When you went to the publishers, did you have a major, major problem with taking stuff out because you must have a wealth of information? No, um, it didn't really go like that. It was... I worked out fairly early on the areas I needed to cover. I didn't want to go too deep, um, but there's enough in here, more than enough in here. When you finish the book, and it really it's only a few hours, you, you will come away with... A completely different view of the internet. You won't see it as this cuddly, fun space so much. Um, it's still there, but you'll understand that there's so much more to it, and you'll feel much more savvy about travelling around it. I um, mean, simple things you'll learn. You know, cover the webcam on your computer, your 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 you know your your laptop or what have you, because people can look in very easily. That's just one example. Now, all your chapters. Is there one chapter that you really love? that you think, no, that's brilliant. Hmm, that's a funny one. Um, yeah, um, there, there is a scene, actually. I, I avoided using the word pea super because that, you know, that's, that, that's the world, but they wake up one day in a thick fog and Holmes uh, takes Watson through the city. And whilst they're masked in the mist, he explains how people hide themselves online and how people might wish to do that, you know, activists and aid workers and, and so on. But also how we can all do this. If we all learn to hide ourselves, 
if people don't know who you are and they don't know where you are, they can't find you, they can't do you any harm, they can't fleece you for cash, and uh, they can't spy upon you. And by looking at just how dangerous the internet is, you also see how relevant all that danger is to you. And I think that chapter, because it's so misty and a bit ghosty, and it, it, it just unveils a very, very scary world. Now, you say that, uh, with me having a late-night phone-in, you can imagine the amount of people uh, that talk about scams is quite incredible all the time. Why do you think people fall for this? <laughs> Everybody wants a bargain, don't they? Everybody. Um, I mean, the earlier ones that we used to get, for example, um, you know, you've just won the Saskatchewan State Lottery. It's pretty amazing because you didn't buy a ticket. Many people fell for that. Very few do today. There's a popular one at the moment where the, your phone rings and someone says they're from the Windows company and that your, your computer's somehow interfering with the internet and they, they want you to make a few adjustments to your computer. And uh, all this is complete nonsense because there is no Windows company, it's Microsoft. And what they're doing, they're planting a thing called a remote access trojan inside your a computer, commonly known as a rat. With a rat, they can access absolutely everything inside. They can read every email. They can even take over and send emails in your name. They can find all your passwords. They can look at all your bank details. And they can watch you on, on the webcam. And, and that's very, very scary. It's interesting that we're doing this interview. You're not going to believe it. Only an hour ago, I got an email. Hello, Peter. Hope you're well and hope you're doing well. I need to speak to you urgently. Please uh, get back to me on this email. Jeanette. So me yeah, being yeah, me being me had to get back to her to find out. Anyway, she wants eventually 350,000, no, 308 uh, £3,800 for an operation for her cousin. So I then yeah. sent an email back saying, I'd love to help you. Why not come on my radio show tonight? Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I heard nothing back. That's a sad one. Yes. What, is, what, is, what, a, tad, what a sad tale that was. Mm. Um, what would have happened then? I mean, there's two possible things that could have happened to you then. If you'd, if she asked you to follow a link, for example, yep. you might have taken on a uh, malicious download. You know the way... You visit a website, you take on board a cookie every time. Yep. You don't even know it's happening, mostly. Yep. You can download a malicious piece of software by going to a malicious website. So don't follow any links just you know, willy-nilly. Um, the one that they were working on you was basically just tug at your heartstrings and send some money via Western Union. Mm. Um, the other thing is that if, if they send any attachments, be very, very, very careful. Don't open them. Um, just by simply opening a photograph, um, a PDF file, all sorts of things, that can activate the same kind of program that will take over your computer, the rat. And one thing I really do in the book is get across to people the few simple things that they need to do. As Holmes explains, you know, internet security is a matter of plain old common sense and just a few good programs. And everyone should start off with some anti-spyware and don't even pay for it. The free ones are exceptionally good. Not the ones that came bundled on your machine, but things that you can find. And you download it, put it in all your devices. And that will alert you to dodgy emails, um, to um, the drive-by download, visiting dodgy websites. It also allows you to scan 
uh, your computer because things will keep slipping through regardless of how good you think you are with your security. If you're scanning once in a while, you know, so once a week, um, that would do the job very nicely. So that's one of the key things I, I, I suggest people do. You're a fascinating man. Is there one fact in this book that you as a journalist actually can't get your head round? Hmm. Can't get my head around configuring the Wi-Fi <laughs> in my own house. Um, it's the funny because this, I mean, this in many ways is the point. It's really a good question because I am not techie. I am so untechy. I've come. I'm probably the only person to have written a cybersecurity handbook who isn't a geek, because I've come to this from a journalistic perspective because I've seen how dangerous the, the net is. I've then learned how to protect oneself. And I'm explaining it mostly to journalists who are not techie people as a rule. If somebody buys this book, when they buy the book and they read it, is it two questions? One, is it an easy book to read? And two, what do you want them to say when they've put the book down? OK, um, come back to is it an easy read in a second. Uh, when they put the book down, I like them to go, phew, wow, wipe their brow a little bit. Um, as they're reading the book, people have said to me they put the book down. That's why it's good to get the paperback version. Put the book, hold the, that in one hand and your smartphone perhaps in the other. And then you can make a few simple adjustments. Again, nothing techie. And just change your settings a little bit so you're not giving everything away. Um, so you're actually learning as you're going, almost by you know, osmosis perhaps. In that you're absorbing this knowledge without knowing it. At the end, I think it's kind of shocking, actually, um, the way the world is and why people uh, see information as the only true power now. It's it's fascinating. How can people find out more about you and about your other books? Um, you can give my website address. Can we ask you, you've read the book, though, Pete. Did you find it was a, an entertaining read? It's very different, uh, but it's also it scares me. It scares me. It scares me to think that we are doing what we're doing now. We're Skyping you in um, France. I'm wondering who is um, listening to us. I'm wondering if you're a marked man now because of this book and whether the mafia are after you. Yeah. If the mafia are after me, they can probably pay me money for a training course. <laughs> <laughs> so go on, what's the website so they can find out about your other books as well? Okay, well, it's my name. It's alanpierce.com and... Uh, if you type that into a search engine, you'll see how to find the book, either in paperback or, or digital format, whichever, whichever suits you. And the book is called The Sherlock Holmes Handbook for the Digital Age. It's, it's fascinating. You're a fascinating man. I'll tell you what, Alan, because I would love to talk to you again because you are BBC World Service correspondent. You've taught journalists. Can we talk again? Oh, Pete, any time. Have me on as a regular visitor. I'd be very, very happy. Alan Pierce, thank you for talking to me.